Why don't you grab your Bible, turn with me to the book of Isaiah. We left off on last Wednesday, right around uh, Isaiah chapter 48. So right there is where we'll begin. Isaiah 48. Isaiah chapter 48, beginning in verse one, it says, hear ye this, O house of Jacob, which are called by the name of Israel. One of the things that we've pointed out is how many times Isaiah says, listen up, tune in, listen, listen, listen. He says it over and over again. And he also says, look, behold, he's trying to get the attention of a stiff-necked people, people that have their own agendas, people that have their own you know, um, interests, people that are easily pulled off course, people that are easily beset by sin, sins and sinful behavior. Uh, sounds a little bit like our culture. Man, we're so easily distracted. Um, that's one of the things the Lord's been showing me lately through the coronavirus and the unrest and the rioting and the, uh, even the murdering and horrible stuff that's going on right now. We, um, we as Christians, we need to set our faces like flint to Jesus Christ, immovable, unshakable. Too many people are um, being shaken. And as Christians, we need to be the strong ones. And we need to be an example of what uh, faith really looks like, that we're trusting in the Lord, that, we're have, that this is not our home, this little place we call earth. Uh, we're just pilgrims, strangers, sojourners in a strange land. And you know, it's getting stranger and stranger. I don't know if you've noticed that, but it's getting stranger and stranger. And I realize more and more how heaven is my home and this earth is not as much. We're as Christian citizens of heaven. Now, the thing is, Israel has that same problem. They, they've got problems around them. They've got things they're worried about. Uh, they've got distractions when it comes to things like, um, you know, idols and paganism and prosperity. Same, same issues, really, that we deal with. But um, as it turns out, uh, it, Isaiah's gonna give really a, a, a strong reminder of who God is. So he says, hear ye this, Israel. But notice what he calls them. And I always like to point this out where he says, um, oh, hear ye this, O house of Jacob, which are called by the name of Israel. Um, why does God redundantly seemingly uh, use the name Jacob and then Israel? And, and, um, and I wouldn't make a science out of this or he doesn't do it all the time, but it does seem to me as I read the Bible, whenever God calls Israel Jacob, uh, they might just be in trouble. And I, I use the analogy of like when your mother, when you were a little kid, you know, called you by your middle name. If, if my mom said, Brett Evan met her, I knew I was in big trouble because she used my middle name in addition to my first name. And, uh, and that's sort of the Lord saying, Jacob, because see, remember Jacob, you know, when we talk about Israel or Jacob, we're talking about, first of all, there was a dude in the Old Testament named Jacob. And he was, uh, you know, there was Abraham, there was the father of the Jews, after Abraham came Isaac, after Isaac came Jacob. And so Israel is sort of, you know, it was originally called Jacob. Um, and, then, and then when, um, you know, remember Jacob wrestled God at Peniel that night uh, in the story there in the book of Genesis and the Lord smote his hip and popped it out of socket and all that stuff. And it was quite a, quite a deal. But God gave Jacob a new name at that moment and called his name Israel, which means governed by God. Jacob means tricky heel snatcher, uh, untruthful. <laughs> that, that was who Jacob was. He was a trickster. He was dishonest. Um, he lacked integrity. Um, and so when he wrestled with God, the Lord blessed him with a new name. 
That is Israel or governed by God. And so it seems that sometimes when God says, hear ye this, Jacob, tricker, uh, trickster, deceitful one, uh, you know, that goes by the name of Israel, it's almost like the Lord is saying, uh, time to wake up and shape up. Uh, that's sort of the, the thing the Lord's doing here. And in fact, one of the things he's gonna do is give them sort of a, um, oh, it's gonna get rough here. You know, it sounds like things are gonna get rough here as he's challenging them. But what we're gonna see in this chapter are three main sections of this chapter. We're gonna see Isaiah the prophet, number one, give an exhortation to acknowledge God's prophecies. Number one, to uh, exhort Israel to acknowledge God's prophecies. And that's verses one through 11. And then right here in verses uh, 12 through 19, it's an exhortation to acknowledge God's sovereignty. We'll talk about that. And then the third section of this chapter, it's an exhortation to flee Babylon, verses 20 and 22. So let's take a look uh, again here. We'll begin right there at the beginning, verse one. Hear ye this, O house of Jacob, which are called by the name of Israel and are come forth out of the waters of Judah which swear by the name of the Lord and make mention of the God of Israel, but not in truth, nor in righteousness. What a sad beginning here. You know, it says here that the Jews, they were um, out of the waters of Judah. Uh, They swear by the name of the Lord, make mention of the God of Israel, but not really, not in truth, not in righteousness. You know, the Bible warns about this over and over. There's a tendency, not just in ancient times, in ancient Israel, but there's a tendency for us to draw near to the Lord with our lips, the Bible says, but our hearts are far from God. There's people, the Bible says, and Jesus warns there, that there there are people who will say, Lord, Lord, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we prophesy? And the Lord will say, depart from me, I never knew you. There's people that think they're close to God or have the pretense of being close to God, but they do not. Um, how, do, how do you know if you're one of those people? Well, this is where, you know, a few weeks ago, I gave a, a teaching on a Sunday morning that I think is really important, and I hope you got it, where we were talking about the gospel. I think that's what it's called, the gospel. Uh, look it up on our website if you missed it, because... You know, a lot of people claim Christianity. A lot of politicians talk about Jesus and quote the Bible. Are they really Christians? Who, who really is a Christian? And it depends on who you ask. You know, if you ask uh, CNN people or college professors, you know, they'll give you an answer of what a Christian is, but those are usually wrong. But a Christian is simply this, according to the Bible. Um, someone who actually believes that Jesus died on the cross for their sins and they acknowledge that they're sinners that they've sinned against the Lord and are sinful by nature. And they repent or change their mind and say, I wanna follow the Lord and I wanna be saved. And so they accept and believe in faith. By the grace of God, they receive this gift of God of salvation through Jesus Christ. That's what a Christian is, period. Uh, A Christian is not someone who votes one way or another. Now, by the way, I do believe the way a person votes is an indication sometimes, you know, because a Christian will wanna be like Jesus and follow Christ. I've noticed there's this funny thing where people like to drop names. Oh, are they acting like Jesus? Uh, well, before you say that, you better know who Jesus is. That's not very Christ-like, people say. Well, let's, let's make sure and acknowledge who Jesus really is. Um, and Jesus, you know, unless you know who Jesus is, I'd, I'd be careful with that one. Um, you know, what would Jesus do? Well, don't forget, he turned tables in the temple 
and thrashed the money changers. Uh, don't forget, he um, did a lot of things that people said he was a wine-bibber and a glutton and was uh, breaking the law. Like they accused him of things all the time. Now we know that Jesus never sinned. But it's interesting that people will quote scripture and sort of act like they know something of Jesus, but oftentimes they do not. Be careful about that. And, uh, and you know, just because people are saying, I'd like to thank God for my wonderful talent after they played in the NBA or in the NFL, doesn't necessarily mean that they're true followers of Jesus Christ. Now we hope that they do. Uh, but the reason I think that's a little dangerous is there are so many people who claim to be Christians in America and, and are you know, telling everybody what they should do because they're a Christian. But I, I notice they don't have necessarily a, a real biblical worldview. You know, and, and uh, that's the thing that we have to do is, as Christians, we need to lean heavily solely on the word of God. These people, Isaiah is accusing them right out of the gate. Oh, you guys are acting like believers in God. You, you claim to know the God of the Jews, but you're really not, you don't have any real faith in God. And, and man, talk about calling them out. That's pretty brutal. Um, you know, they make mention of the God of Israel, but not in truth nor in righteousness. There's a lot of discussion about who our founding fathers were in this country and um, tearing down of statues, you know, uh, canceling culture. Uh, we're seeing a lot of that. And one of the things we all admit is our founders were not perfect. They were sinful guys, they had sinful things. But, but man, if you think you're gonna find anybody perfect in history, uh, good luck with that. The only one you can do that with is Jesus Christ. But one of the things that I do appreciate about our founders and some of our early presidents, really. Um, some of the things they said, you know, uh, George Washington, let me read you some of my favorites. I brought a little, little cluster of some of my favorite quotes from presidents. And I like this because um, this, this strikes me as some, these guys had, had some real faith. George Washington said this, it is impossible to rightly govern the world without God and the Bible. While just government protects all their religious rights, True religion affords to government its surest support. Um, true, true leadership, according to George Washington, needed to be uh, given from God and the Bible. That, that's interesting. Abraham Lincoln, uh, one of my favorite presidents, he said, I believe the Bible is the best gift God has ever given to man. All the good from the Savior, Jesus. Um, uh, I, I'm adding that, by the way. He says, all the good from the Savior of the world is communi communi uh, communicated to us through this book. Abraham Lincoln loved the Bible. And he said, all the good from the Savior, which is Jesus. And that's good. Uh, Thomas Jefferson, who everybody claims was a, uh, not a believer at all or an atheist. Uh, some people might give him a deist. But listen to this. This is the prayer on the second inaugural address, March 4th, 1805. He said this, Almighty God, who has given us this good land for our heritage, we humbly beseech thee that we may always prove ourselves a people mindful of thy favor and glad to do thy will. Bless our land with honorable ministry, sound learning, pure manners. Save us from violence, discord, confusion, from pride, arrogance, and from every evil way. Defend our liberties and fashion into one united people, the multitude brought uh, either out of ma uh, many kindreds and tongues. Endow thy spirit of wisdom, those to whom thy name we entrust, the authority of government, 
that there may be justice and peace at home, and that through obedience to thy law, we may show forth thy praise among the nations of the earth. In the times of prosperity, fill our hearts with thankfulness, and in the day of trouble, suffer, our, suffer not our um, trust in thee to fail, all of which we ask through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. This is Thomas Jefferson praying to God to, through Jesus Christ uh, on his second inaugural address. Man, that's, a, that's powerful. Benjamin Franklin, who you know, had a very nominal, um, seemingly, uh, relationship with God, and you, know, you can read some of his writings, but you know, interesting, he said this. Uh, he said, I have lived, sir, a long time. The longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth that God governs the affairs of men. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, it is probable that an empire can rise without his aid. Have we been assured, sir, in the sacred writings, the Bible, that except the Lord build the house, they that labor in vain that build it? I firmly believe this. And I also believe that without his concurring aid, we shall succeed in this political building no better than the builders of Babel. We shall be divided by our partial local interests. Our projects will be confounded. We ourselves shall become a reproach and a byword down to future generations. And what is worse, mankind may hereafter from its, from tis for unfortunate instance, despair of establishing governments by human wisdom and leave to chance by war and conquest. Wow, that's almost prophetic. It's not, but it's almost. He, he's saying, man, you know, uh, it's the Lord and his holy scriptures that will keep us uh, on, on track. And he said, unless the Lord builds the house, they that labor in vain, you know, they labor in vain. But he said, if we try to build it apart from God, we're no better than the men of Babel that were building the tower of Babel. And, uh, and uh, we're trying to do it apart from God. And boy, that's where we are. We're, we, we are forsaking the God of our founders of this nation. And we are looking to man's wisdom, which is really not so good. And uh, that's why we're seeing unrest, war, challenges. Um, our nation has been blessed, whether we wanna admit it or not, because I think our founders started where we actually believed that God was the key to a successful nation. Um, so that's where we are right now. And I think it answers a lot of questions. The further away we get from God as a nation, the more crazy things are gonna be. And uh, this is not new. This is just what we're seeing take place. Now you say, Brett, that's really bleak. If America is going down, what do we do about it? Well, we pray, you know, um, I, I believe prayer is important and powerful. But at the same time, don't be praying, you know, for your will be done. Pray for God's will to be done. Because uh, the Lord raises up nations and he puts nations down. We're gonna see that tonight. But also don't let your citizenship be holy here in the United States. We as believers are citizens of heaven. We should be looking forward to being with the Lord. This life on earth, this is just a boot camp. This is training ground. This is our United States is our temporary home, uh, but heaven is our ultimate home. And we need to keep that in mind, keep the big picture in mind and not get too anchored you know, here on this earth. Uh, that's the tricky part. So the Jews way back in Isaiah's time were doing similar things that we're doing right now where it says that they, they made mention of God in, of, of Israel, but well, not in truth. It was, a, it was sort of a pretend faith in God. And I see that, I worry about that in our culture. Well, he goes on in this section, remember this is the, uh, the first section, the exhortation to acknowledge God's prophecies. 
So let's go on, verse two. For they call themselves of the holy city, Jerusalem, and stay themselves upon the God of Israel. The Lord of hosts is his name. I have declared the former things from the beginning. And they went forth out of my mouth and I showed them, I did them suddenly and they came to pass because I knew that thou art obstinate or hard and thy neck is an iron sinew and thy brow is brass. Here the Lord is saying, you guys are a stiff-necked, hard-hearted people. And because of that, I've, I've given you my prophecies or the, you know, I tell the former things from the beginning. Before these things happened, they came out of my mouth and I showed it to you. Prophecy, one of the things that prophecy does is um, addresses the hard-hearted, stiff-necked people. That's why I think prophecy is so good. And isn't it interesting that so many churches and uh, ministries are avoiding Bible prophecy today? But I think that what happens if we leave that part out, we're leaving out a great tool that God has given to us to convince us of the authenticity and the authority of the Bible. Uh, when we look at Bible prophecy, we realize, wow, this book is unique. From all other books around, we have the Bible that gives us clarity. And um, I'm so thankful for that. Um, you know, uh, th this is a theme that Isaiah camps out on is the prophecies. The Lord speaks the beginning from the end. He knows the beginning from the end. He knows all things. And, uh, and he says he does this because they're stiff-necked people, hard-hearted. Verse five, I have even from the beginning declared it to thee. Before it came to pass, I showed it thee. Lest thou shouldest say, mine idol hath done them and my graven image and my molten image have commanded them. Thou hast heard, see all this, and I will not, uh, and, pardon me, and will not ye declare it? I have showed thee new things from this time, even hidden things, and thou didst not know them. They are created now and not from the beginning, even before the day when thou heardest them not, lest thou shouldest say, behold, I knew them, Yea, thou heardest not, yea, thou knewest not, yea, from that time that thine ear was not opened, for I knew that thou wouldest deal very treacherously and wast called a transgressor from the womb. Did you know that you were a sinner from the very womb? That's one of the major differences of people of Christianity versus the world. The world basically says man is basically good, and because of you know, the nature versus nurture argument, you know, is a person made into an evil person by their you know, nurturing or teaching or training or their environment. And uh, we, we assume man is basically good, but the Bible starts out and says, no, man is bad. This is, this is so important to have the proper worldview. When people say, well, um, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, if you have a correct worldview, there are no good people. Bad things happen to bad people. Um, no matter how good you might think you are, you're still bad, according to the Bible. Now, there's beautiful redemption where the Lord wants to save bad people like us. And that's a great thing. And he forgives us and washes us clean. But to assume and start with the assumption that, you know, humanity is basically good, that'll mess up your worldview altogether. Um, so, you know, this idea of, uh, you know, the Lord saying, hey, you were, you were sinful, uh, transgression, right out of your mother's womb. Um, you parents, you know this is true. If you've had a little child, oh, they're so cute and sweet, but man, they come out of the, the womb screaming uh, and they want to be fed and they want to be cuddled and they want to be cared for. And if you're not, man, they'll scream and turn purple as they scream at you. And uh, you know, you never tr trained them how to lie. You never taught them how to destroy things. There's just a very natural proclivity 
of our children to sin. Uh, parents know this to be true. That's, that's what the Lord is saying. You were in transgression from your mother's womb. Now the Lord knows about that because he created us from the mother's womb. He, he's the one who created a person in the mother's womb. We'll see that here in a second. But here Isaiah is saying, man, I, you know, you're all sinners. And I, I did prophesy, I give you prophecy so that you can't say, well, I already knew that was gonna happen. Or, or God forbid, you know, we give the credit to the other gods. Do you remember when they made uh, Aaron make the golden calf there at Mount Sinai? And, uh, you know, they would look at this golden calf and say, behold, the gods that brought you out of Egypt, looking at this golden calf. The audacity of the people, are you kidding me? That this golden calf, Mu, brought them out of the land of Egypt? No, uh, it was the true and living God. And here God saying to Israel, lest you say our gods have delivered us from us these things or our gods have done these things. God says, I'm the only one who tells the thing that, that's gonna happen before it actually happens. Uh, try getting your little cow to do that. Uh, it's not gonna happen. Uh, prophecy is one of the beautiful things that separates our God from all false gods. And that's really what Isaiah is kind of saying here. So if you're wondering, bro, why do you guys do prophecy updates? We love Bible prophecy. And, and as I go through the Bible verse by verse, we'll cover prophecy as we hit it because it's so powerful and it's life-changing. Well, verse nine, he goes on and says, for my name's sake will I defer mine anger. And for my praise will I refrain for thee that I cut thee not off. Behold, I have refined thee, but not with silver. I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. For mine own sake, even mine own sake will I do it. For how should my name be polluted? And I will not give my glory to another. What's the Lord talking about here? He's saying, I'm gonna defer my anger um, and I'm not gonna cut thee off. He's speaking to Israel. Now, remember when we talk about replacement theology, where there are those who say God's done with the Jews, the church has replaced Israel, the Jews blew it, so God forsook them. Horrible, horrible theology, horrible doctrine. Don't believe that teaching, and I'll tell you why. Because if God forsook the Jews, why wouldn't he forsake you? But the truth is God made an everlasting covenant with the Jews, and he will not, never will forsake them. Uh, God still has a plan and a purpose for the Jews. I'm not defending the Jews and all their behavior. They're sinful just like us. But the, 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 uh, the problem with replacement theology is it tends to lead towards anti-Semitism, where uh, high and mighty Christians in America or other places around the world say, we are better than the Jews because we didn't crucify him on a cross. And you know Martin Luther was one of the worst of anti-Semites. He, he wrote a whole book on how horrible the Jews were. I mean, I'm, I'm thankful for some things that Martin Luther did in the Reformation, but he was a Jew hater uh, by far. And you gotta be honest about that. And it was because he was a replacement theologian. That's what he believed, replacement theology. Here in our text, it says, the Lord has not cut off the Jews. He has not used the church to replace Israel. That's, that's a bad teaching. Um, you know, to, to make God a liar. Oh, I'll make an everlasting covenant with you, Abraham, until you're just kind of unlikable, then I'll, then I'll forsake you. No, God is gonna be faithful to Israel. And the Bible says in Romans 9, 10, 11, that we Gentiles who are saved should not be arrogant or ignorant concerning God's plan for the Jews. But one day when the fullness of the Gentiles come in, all of Israel will be saved. The Lord's got a plan. And that's really what the whole tribulation period is about. It's to, to wake up the nation 
of the Jews. That's why the church is not gonna be there. We're not needing to be woken up. We're already saved. We believe in Jesus Christ, the Messiah. So when we're taken out, then God's gonna uh, intervene into the Jewish nation and people during the tribulation period. Now, this anti-Semitism, by the way, it's, it's gotten very sinister in these recent years. Um, can I warn some of you uh, conservative Christians that are into this QAnon stuff, Q? Um, because, you know, uh, of course, are we against, um, you know, pedophilia and human trafficking and all that stuff? Of course. And all this conspiracy series stuff. But let me just say, one of the things is a total abomination is a lot of this QAnon stuff, they're, they're as bad as Nazis when it comes to hating Jewish people. So for those of you that are jumping on the QAnon bandwagon or you know, retweeting and all this stuff, there's a hatred for the Jews that comes from that group. And I, I'm, I'm, I always marvel at what people get into without kind of looking into it a little bit first. Um, and uh, you know, if it wasn't Black Lives Matter, when everybody said, oh yeah, Black, Blackout Tuesday and everything, when they didn't realize that they were trying to you know, dismantle the, the um, you know, the, the, the Western family of a mother and a father and, and children. They, they didn't realize that they're supporting LGBTQ, you know, uh, issues and Marxism and defunding the police. Black Lives Matter, yay. Everybody got into it until they read the fine print and they're like, wait a minute. Yeah, we, we, we are against racism, of course, but we're not for Black Lives Matter because of, just read it. I was told, uh, there was this one uh, couple that told me that they, uh, they were sitting watching with their younger uh, family members and, uh, and the younger family said, that, he's not right. You know, that pastor talking about Black Lives Matter and uh, trying to dismantle the, the you know, uh, nuclear family and all that stuff. Um, and the, the parents said, well, he's reading from the Black Lives Matter website. And they said, no, that's not true. And the, so they looked it up and they like, oh, I guess it is true. <laughs> now, um, now, whether they're changing their website now or not, I don't know now, I haven't kept up with it as much, but I know I'm not into Marxism and I'm also know I'm not into defunding the police, of course, and I'm definitely not into destroying the family. And I'm not into uh, you know, the, uh, the pro-LGBTQ agenda, I'm not into that because the Bible doesn't support that. You see, I, I fear that we're so quick to jump on emotional bandwagons and QAnon or whatever the thing is. And little do people know when you're jumping on the QAnon uh, or Q or whatever bandwagon, you're, you're, it's about as anti-Semitic as it could ever be. Um, and I hope you're aware of that. Uh, be careful, Christians. Don't jump on back. Get on the bandwagon of the Bible. Get on the bandwagon of God's holy church that he has called to be separate and set out from among everything else. Don't just look for things you can jump into that are worldly, godless, or even have the pretense of godliness, but aren't really godly. You know, if I'm Satan, which some of you might think I am, but I'm not. But if I was Satan, I wouldn't, you know, want everybody getting into Harry Potter and uh, wizardry and witches and Satanists and all that stuff. I wouldn't do that. I would make stuff look almost so Christian, so holy and good, so uh, morally seemingly right and correct. I would lure millions to my side where they don't even know they're on my side. Um, if I were Satan, I would, I would make it look very righteous, even though it's very unrighteous. Don't be duped, Christians. Um, Beelzebub wants to bamboozle you. <laughs> he wants to tweak you out. He's called the deceiver. 
Man, we're living in a time of great deception. Could it be the second Thessalonians deception? That's something we might talk about on Friday night because man, the deception that's out there right now and the lies that everybody's telling and man, it's hard to even keep up with it all. But all that to say, um, that's why I love the Bible. Have you ever thought about like, what, what it would it be like if you could just have God show you, just let's say the Lord gives you this vision for 10 minutes, you get to see the world and everything in the world and everything that's true, you see it as true. Everything that's false, you see it as false. I wonder what stuff you'd be like shocked. Wow, I can't believe that that's true. Or wow, I was wrong about that. I thought that was a holy good. I thought that person was honest and good and full of integrity. Or maybe someone who you think is evil and wicked. Actually, the Lord says, no, that person's actually kind of a person of integrity and honesty. Like, wouldn't it be something if suddenly the Lord just sorted it all out and you had a snapshot? You're like, wow, now I know all things. Well, that's not gonna happen for you. Great, Brett, I know. And everything's so confusing. How do you know what's right or wrong? I've got one answer for you, the Bible. The one thing we can glimpse into and know that it's absolute truth is not CNN, not Fox News, not MSNBC, not you know The Blaze, not World Net Daily, not Drudge Report, not, not you know, it, like Washington Times or the Washington Compost or whatever the, the thing you're reading. Listen, that's all stuff that's just people and most of it I, I'm afraid is got spin and lies and all kinds of stuff. That's why what you're doing tonight by looking at the Bible, looking at the scripture, man, we can just rest easy on a Wednesday night because we're not, we're not um, looking at something that's you know, wavering or lying to us. The Bible is the one thing you can bank on. And that's the truth. Uh, I love that about the Bible. So we're, we're, this is, I find real refuge, honestly, in this day of lies and misinformation and you know, purposeful you know, leaving things out of the news. Um, you know, this whole thing that happened in Portland the other night, what was that, Saturday night, I think, um, where there was all those people, you know, we've had you know, 100 nights of protest, for those of you that are watching from out of state, Portland's um, kind of gone nuts. Um, and, you know, there's been buildings burned, there's been breaking in of our, you know, city hall and people, you know, hurt and, you know, beaten, uh, you know, all kinds of crazy stuff going on. Well, we had like a bunch of pro-Trumpers come in on Saturday, it was a huge, huge thing. Um, uh, the lines of cars went for miles and miles and, um, and they went in and out and did kind of their thing. And then, um, and then someone got shot in, in downtown Portland. Um, and so the news said, said this, this is what all the news says, several hundred Trump protesters from Trump's side um, uh, were in downtown Portland and someone got shot. Uh, and, and then, you know, our governor kind of came out and, and the city mayor came out and blamed Trump for the shooting, even though the guy was a Trump supporter. And, and also it wasn't several hundred people. Um, uh, there were some estimates of over 3,500 cars that were in the line that went through. And it was this huge mass of people <laughs> that, that assembled. You won't see that anywhere on the news. And I'm not, I'm not even trying to say, yeah, pro-Trump or pro-this or any of that. I'm just saying there's been zero honesty. And then the poor guy that got shot, it, it was a guy who was you know, one of those Trump supporters. And, um, and they, you can see it in the video, uh, there's a video. And they said, this is, this is a couple of those Trump you know, supporters. And, and they pulled out a gun, boom, shot him in the chest, killed him because he was a Trump supporter. 
you, you don't hear any of that, you know, and, and then the news comes out the next day and they talk about these Trump people and they were shooting paintball, uh, paintballs in Portland. So wait, let me get this straight. So for a hundred nights, they've been shooting these, you know, commercial fireworks at the police officers and shining lasers in the eyes of our law enforcement, trying to damage their eyesight. Um, they've been throwing rocks and bricks and stuff and beating people with skateboards for, for 100 days. And now they're saying somebody's shooting paint, paintballs. Oh no, that suddenly we're worried about violence in Portland. It's just, it's just such a hypocrisy that we're seeing. I don't care what side of the political aisle you're on, there's a, there's a dishonesty that we're just not seeing the truth. That's why, rather than getting all riled up and upset and, um, you know, some of you are called to activism and some of you are called to run for office and make a difference. And I think we're all called to vote. I think that's important. But, but you know, the thing is, you got to keep your foot in the scripture. You got to keep one foot in the word because if you're only in the world, you'll go nuts. You'll get angry and you'll probably start doing stupid stuff. We need to be grounded and rooted in these days in the word of God, because that's the one thing we know for sure. You just can't believe everything you're seeing and hearing now. There's too much deception. And I believe we're living in days of deception. Uh, Satan is alive and well. And I'd say he's kind of winning that battle right now. And a lot of people, Christians included, are being sucked in to his plan. Um, you know, uh, how do we get away from Satan? The Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And we've been given one offensive weapon and that weapon is the word of God, the sword of the spirit. This weapon of our warfare is not to yell or tweet or to social media it up, but you can do that if you want to. But um, the real weapon that we have is the word of God. And I hope that we as Christians, man, I hope we're solid on that, that we're not easily being moved. So the Lord says to the Jews, man, um, he says, you know, I'm not gonna forsake you. I'm gonna defer my anger and uh, you've been in the furnace of affliction. Um, but the Lord says, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not gonna let other people get the glory for, for what, I'm, uh, what I'm gonna do with my people, the Jews. Well, I went on a rabbit trail there, but that's okay. We do that from time to time. Well, verse 12 is where this second section of this chapter comes into play. Uh, the verses one through 11 was an exhortation to acknowledge God's prophecies. But chapter uh, 48, verse 12 through 19 is an exhortation to acknowledge God's sovereignty, that God is sovereign. He, his will will be accomplished no matter what. There's no one that has power over him. What he wants happens. Um, let's see this. It's verse 12. Hearken unto me, O Jacob and Israel, my called. I am he. I am the first. I am also the last. Mine hand also hath laid the foundation of the earth, and my right hand hath spanned the heavens. When I call to them, they stand up together. Man, think about that. The Lord um, has laid the foundation of the earth, and his right hand spans the heavens, the universe. That's a big God. Um, and when he, when he calls on him, he can make the earth and the heavens stand up. That's, that's the God that we're talking about here. Verse 14, all ye assemble yourselves and hear, which among them hath declared these things? The Lord hath loved him, he will do his pleasure on Babylon and his arms shall be on the Chaldeans. I, even I have spoken, yea, I have called him, I have brought him 
and he shall make his way prosperous. This is a reference that's dual to Cyrus the Great that we talked about earlier. Remember, the Lord says, I'm gonna send Cyrus. 150 years before Cyrus came, the Lord was gonna deliver the Jews from Babylon and he would send Cyrus the Great to do it. That's what he's referencing here. Now, the second fulfillment of that is the new Babylon in Revelation 17 and 18. In Revelation 17 and 18, it's, it's um, the religious and economic ba- Babylon we talked about last week. But instead of Cyrus, it's gonna be Jesus who will come and um, he will intervene on behalf of his people, the Jews in the tribulation. Um, so as first fulfilled in Cyrus, it will secondly be fulfilled here in Jesus during the tribulation. And the Lord says, I've spoken it, I've called him, I've brought him, so it's gonna happen. That's the sovereignty of God, his will will be done. He goes on in verse 16. Come ye near unto me, ye hear this, hear ye this. I, I have not spoken it in secret. From the beginning and from that, uh, the time that I was the, uh, pardon me, I'm messing this up. I have not spoken in secret from the beginning. From the time that it was, there I am. And now the Lord God and his spirit hath sent me. Do some of you struggle with the the doctrine of the Trinity? The God in three persons, God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. One of the problems some people have is the word Trinity is not in the Bible. And uh, there's a lot of words that aren't in the Bible, by the way, but they're still true. Trinity is one such thing. That is, God is in three persons. And, and, and people say, well, are you a polytheistic person? No, um, it's one God in three persons. It's still one though. And God is bigger than our laws of physics, time and space. But there's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And there's hints of that all throughout the Bible. And we just read a verse that is very much speaking of the Trinity, verse 16. Mark it well, come near unto me, hear ye this, I have not spoken in secret from the beginning. Now keep that in mind. Who has not spoken in secret? Who's speaking here? There's someone speaking here and you might say, well, it's God. Well, it is. He says, I have not spoken in secret from the beginning, from that time um, that it was, that there I am. And now the Lord God, who's the Lord God? That's Jehovah, the Father, and his spirit, capital S, that's the Holy Spirit, hath sent me. Jehovah and the Holy Spirit has sent me. Who's the sent one? Do you know what the word sent? Well, that, that's an apostle. Um, the one who was sent, Jesus is the very first apostle, if you would. And then Jesus sent the apostles, uh, the sent ones. But Jesus was sent by the Father. And he is the third part of the Holy Trinity. And all three parts are mentioned here. And it's actually Jesus, the Messiah, who's speaking. Well, bro, Jesus hasn't even been born yet. Oh, he wasn't born in Bethlehem and introduced to the world. But did you know that Jesus was there at creation? Uh, Remember when God said, let us make man in our image. Why was there a plural there? It's because it's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And by the way, I think the human being is created in God's image so much so that we have a three-part being in a microcosm. Uh, We're body, soul, and spirit. That's how we're made up. Uh, and, and we sort of are a picture or an illustration of who God is. But here it's the one who sent, Jesus, speaks of the Lord God, Jehovah, the Father, and the Spirit. Now mark this, and I wanna share with you a few scriptures. Um, uh, this is all Jesus speaking in verses 12, you know, through this section here. This is Jesus speaking before, before he was born in Bethlehem. He preexisted. 
Uh, I wanna show you that. Let me, let me read you from, from scriptures. You can jot these down in your notes. John chapter one, the gospel of John, chapter one, verse one. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Okay, so the word, the living word is God, but then check this out later on in verse 14 of chapter one of John. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Do you hear what this is saying? In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, and then the word dwelt among us, and that's Jesus. So here we see that the word is God. So people who don't believe in the, the Jesus is God, they, they, they can't believe this chapter. That's why some of the other books that claim to be the Bible, like the Jehovah's Witness New World Translation or the uh, Mormon, Book of Mormon, they've, in this Gospel of John, they changed the wording. Just one little word. Instead of saying the word was with God and the word was God, they say something like, you know, the word was a God, not the God, because they don't believe Jesus is God. So they, they tweak it because they don't like the idea of Jesus being God and they have a problem with the Trinity. The Trinity is an essential doctrine of the Christian faith. If you wanna have the true biblical Christian faith, you, you've gotta to ascribe to what the Bible says, that God is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, three persons in one. Now, uh, before I leave John, it says in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and the same was in the beginning with God. The same, now we're talking about Jesus, who's the, the Word in the flesh. The Word became flesh, dwelt among us, but it says that same one, Jesus, who is God was with God at the very beginning of creation. Um, that's where it's amazing. People don't understand this, but Jesus was there at creation, the son. Um, you need to know that the Bible teaches that um, not, just, uh, not just in John, but there's other passages as well. Um, you know, uh, for example, in John 18, 20, let me read to you that it says this, in John chapter 18, verse 20, Jesus answered him and said, I spake openly to the world I ever taught in the synagogue and in the temple, whither the Jews always resort. And in secret, I have said nothing. Does that ring a bell? Jesus says, in secret, I have said nothing. And he's really quoting really from Isaiah where in verse, um, in our text here, uh, the Lord reminds us that he doesn't speak uh, you know, things in secret. Verse 16, I have not spoken in secret. <clears throat> That's the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So it's crucial that you see these passages uh, that are very uh, Trinitarian, if you would. Um, another one of those famous uh, ones is, you know, 1 Timothy 3.16. You can remember it by, remember that one of the most famous verses is John 3.16. 1 Timothy 3.16 speaks of the Trinity. It says, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God, that's the Father, was manifest in the flesh, that's Jesus, justified in the Spirit, capital S, that's the Holy Spirit, seen of angels, preached to the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. This is a passage, 1 Timothy 3.16, that speaks of all three parts being one. God, the Father, Manifest in the flesh, Jesus, justified in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. So I know that it confuses people and people struggle, but I always kind of like to end this discussion when people's brains are short-circuiting on this one to remind you that if God were big enough for us to figure out, he probably wouldn't be big enough to worship. 
The Trinity is a hard one to figure out mathematically or scientifically, but the Bible claims that it is true nonetheless. And so we, by faith, believe that God is able to be three persons, but one being at the same time. And that's the mystery of godliness. That's what the Bible says. Now, someday when we see him, it'll all make sense. Um, you know, there's, there's il- illustrations people give, but um, it maybe helps, you know, the um, ones like uh, if you have water, you can have water vapor, you can have water liquid, or you can have water frozen in ice. There are three types of water, but they're all water. Um, and they seem very different in nature. If you have vapor, ice, or liquid, they seem like very different things, but they can all be the same thing. Uh, an egg is one egg, but you got the shell and the yolk and the white, three things. An apple, you got the skin and the core and the seed. But the problem is uh, that those illustrations are sort of helpful, but the purely scientific mind, that, they won't, that won't suffice. Um, but that's where you have to say, I take the word by faith that God is um, way supernaturally outside of our ability to understand. Well, goes on in verse 17 here. It says, thus saith the Lord thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord thy God, which teacheth thee to profit, which leadeth thee by the way that thou shouldest go. Oh, that thou hast hearkened to my commandments, then had thy peace been as a river and thy righteousness as the waves of the sea. They, uh, thy seed also has been as the sand, had been as the sand, and the offspring of thy bowels like the gravel thereof, or the grains thereof is a better translation. His name should not have been cut off nor destroyed from before me. The Lord's saying, oh, how much I wanted to help you guys, but you wouldn't, you were sinful, and I wanted to help, but you, uh, you rebelled. You did not hearken to my commandments. Listen, if you wanted to be happy, be holy. Holiness leads to happiness. Rebellion leads to suffering and sorrow and sadness. Um, That's why we have the word of God. The Jews are the example of that. Well, the last couple verses of this chapter are number three, an exhortation to flee Babylon uh, that the Jews need to leave eventually. Uh, Verse 20, it says, "'Go ye forth from Babylon, flee from the Chaldeans "'with a voice of singing, declare ye, tell this, "'utter it even to the end of the earth, Say ye, the Lord hath redeemed his servant Jacob, and they thirsted not when he led them through the deserts. He caused the waters to flow out of the rock for them, and he clave the rock also, and waters gushed out. They're remembering, you know, the glorious provision when they were wandering in the wilderness, and they were gonna sing about that when they were departing Babylon. That was the plan. Verse 22, there is no peace, saith the Lord, unto the wicked. Proverbs 13, five tells us, the way of the transgressor is hard. One of the reasons I think people's lives are hard right now is because they're sin, sinful. Uh, they're sinning against God and they're wondering, why is life so hard? Why is 2020 so weird? What's going on? Some of it's because things 2020 is just weird. But I think there are some things where we are rebelling against the Lord as a nation, as a culture, as a people, and we wonder why everything's so confusing and hard. The Bible makes it clear, there is no peace, saith the Lord, to the wicked. Um, Portland, we wonder why there's no peace. Answer, it's a wicked city and it has been for a long time. That's why I moved here. I moved my family uh, you know, 25 years ago up here because Portland was a wicked city and needed Jesus. Um, one of the least churched, irreligious cities in America. 
Um, it's on the news every night now. As, uh, the, you know, the president said in, in his speech of, of the uh, Republican National Convention, uh, don't, we don't want all the cities in America to become like Portland, Oregon. <laughs> like that's the city we live. Why is it so lacking peace? Because it's wicked. There's wickedness and sin. And the Bible's told us that forever. Well, let's quickly look at chapter 49. I'd like to get at least through that tonight. I've gone a little longer than I've planned. So um, this is the high ground now as we get into this part of Isaiah. Uh, and I love how this section of scripture points to Jesus radically. We're gonna enjoy this as we look to Jesus. Um, you know, Luke uh, chapter 24, do you remember the story after Jesus died on the cross, rose from the grave? There were, um, let me just read it to you. It's kind of a cool little story. Uh, in Luke chapter 24, verse 27. It says at the beginning, um, well, let me, let, me, let me give you a setup. There's a couple guys walking on a road to Emmaus after Jesus and all this stuff happened in Jerusalem and he died and rose from the grave. And these guys are just marveling. Well, Jesus pops up and they don't recognize him. And they, they start walking with Jesus on the road to Emmaus. And um, he said, um, you know, they, um, they, they, he said, don't, they said, don't you know what happened in Jerusalem about this guy, Jesus? And they said, what are you talking about? Jesus said, and they said, well, you know, they, they buried him in the sepulcher and all this stuff. And, and Jesus, beginning at Moses, this is the part I'm gonna read, and all the prophets expounded unto them in all the scriptures concerning the things about himself. And they drew near the village where they went and he made, us, made it as though they would have gone further but they constrained him saying, stay with us uh, for it is evening and the day is far spent. And he went into tarry with them and it came to pass as he sat with them at meat, he took bread and blessed it and gave it to them. And their eyes were open and they knew him, Jesus. And then he vanished out of their sight. Man, if I could get a hold of one teaching that was given in past times, if I could get the, you know, the download of that teaching of when Jesus said, let me tell you about Jesus from Genesis all the way through the prophets, uh, I wanna tell about all those scriptures concerning me. <laughs> That'd be a great teaching to hear. If you've noticed, that's been one of my life goals is when I teach the Old Testament, I wanna show Jesus. Because lo, I come in the volume of the book, it is written of me, the Bible says, Jesus. And that's what it's about. And Isaiah is one of those great, as we mentioned on Sunday, messianic passages. This section is very much Christ-centered. So I'm excited to get into this section. Verse one of chapter 49, listen, O isles, unto me. Remember, the isles are the what? The nations, right? If you said that, you're correct. Listen, O isles, unto me, and hearken ye people from far. The Lord hath called me from the womb. From the bowels of my mother hath he made mention of my name. And he hath made my mouth like a sharp sword in the shadow of his hand hath he hid me. And he made me a polished shaft in his quiver and he hid me. And he said unto me, thou art my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Then I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for naught. And in vain yet surely my judgment is with the Lord and my work with my God. And now saith the Lord that formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob again to him. Though Israel be not gathered, yet shall I be glorious in the eyes of the Lord, and my God shall be my strength. And he said, it is a light thing that thou shouldest be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and restore a preser uh, the preserved of Israel. 
I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles that thou mayest be my salvation unto the end of the earth. Um, <clears throat> man, this is great stuff. Uh, this is all speaking, of course, of um, Christ messianically. You know, he says, verse um, uh, one, the Lord hath called me from the mother's womb. Jesus was called and spoken of before Jesus was even born to um, um, Joseph and others. <clears throat> they knew that Jesus was coming and they knew him by name. Um, verse two is quite a picture. <clears throat> Excuse me, it says in verse two, and he hath made my mouth like a sharp sword in the shadow of his hand, he hath hid me. Um, what imagery do we have of Jesus with a mouth with a sharp sword? Tons. There's all kinds of depictions, pictures of Jesus. Revelation chapter one has a picture of Christ with a two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. Revelation chapter 19 has a picture of Christ in his return. That's Revelation 19. That's the second coming of Christ. And the image of Revelation says that he's gonna come with a two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. Um, and then artists try to paint these things. Don't do that. That's not, that's not the purpose. There's all these ugly pictures that people try to paint of Jesus, ah, big sword coming out. That's not what we're supposed to do with that. It's not to be a painting. It's speaking of, of <clears throat> that his word, the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. <clears throat> and so when the mouth opens and the sword comes out, that's, what's that, what is that saying? When Christ returns, he's coming with his word. The word is what indicts all the people of the world. It's the double-edged sword that will slay the unbeliever. And the, it's, it's the weapon of our warfare. It's the one that defeats Satan and his demonic entities. Christ's power is in his word. And that's the sword. That's that offensive weapon you and I are given. The word of God is our uh, sword of the spirit. We get to use the word as a weapon, not to thrash people, but to defend our faith. And Jesus is gonna come with this sword coming out of his mouth. This is imagery of Christ and what he's gonna do. I love verse six at the end. I will also give thee a light to the Gentiles that thou mayest be my salvation to the ends of the earth. Salvation was never meant to be just to the Jews. Um, even though it came through the Jews, don't forget Jesus was a Jew. We should be thankful to the Jews for Jesus. Um, but the salvation that comes to Jesus is for all the worlds, even to the end of the world. Praise the Lord for that. <clears throat> Verse seven, thus saith the Lord, Jehovah, the redeemer of Israel and his holy one. Again, we have the Trinity. Did you see it? We have thus saith the Lord, that's Jehovah the father. Then we have the redeemer of Israel. That's Jesus, who's the redeemer who redeemed us by the blood of the cross. And then we have his holy one. That's the Holy Spirit, the Holy Trinity. Again, right there in verse seven. To him whom man despiseth, despiseth, to him the nation abhorreth, to a servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise, princes also shall worship because the Lord that is faithful and the Holy One of Israel, and he shall choose thee. Man, this is, this is a lot about the Holy Trinity and eventually every knee and tongue will bow and tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. That's what this is really teaching us. Verse eight, thus saith the Lord, in an acceptable time have I heard thee, in a day of salvation have I helped thee, and I will preserve thee and give thee for a covenant of the people to establish the earth, to cause, to inherit the desolate heritages, um, that thou mayest say to the prisoners, go forth to them that are in darkness, show yourselves. They that feed in the ways and their pastures shall be in all high places. They shall not <clears throat> hunger nor thirst, 
Neither shall the heat nor sun smite them, for he that hath mercy on them shall lead them, and even the springs of water shall he guide them. Um, and I will make all my mountains away, and my highways shall be exalted. Behold, these shall come from far, and lo, these from the north, from the west, and from the land of uh, Sinim, which is basically China, um, the east. So this is basically uh, that the Lord would be the way, the light. These are New Testament notions about what Jesus would be, the light, the, the path, the way. Did you see that in verse 11? I will make all my mountains away and my highways shall be exalted. You guys that know the Bible, that you know that, they, that, that the early Christians weren't called Christians. Uh, the church, they didn't call it the church as much. They called it the way. And some believe they got it from this scripture that they called it themselves the way that was made by the Messiah, the Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. And uh, you, you can find ancient things, even in Jerusalem to this day, that sort of point to that, that they were called the way. Now, where did they become called Christians? Well, it was meant to be an insult. Um, they meant to make fun of, the, the word Christian originally from the original languages meant little Christs. See, the early church was saying, we wanna be like Christ. And so the world said, you guys are like a bunch of little Christs. And they meant that as an insult. But the church said, yeah, that's pretty much what we wanna be. <laughs> we wanna just be like Christ. And so the, the name stuck and the, and the Christians said, yeah, we're Christians, call us that. We love it, uh, which is kind of funny. But originally they were called the way. There's interesting things about the original early church. They didn't use crosses as their symbol. If anything, <clears throat> they used an anchor. The anchor was a symbol of the early church. Also with the ichthus or the fish was an ancient <clears throat> symbol of the early church. But the cross that was brought in many, many, uh, many, many, many years later as a symbol of the church. But all that to say, um, this is where they say the way came from right here. Verse 13, sing, O heavens, and be joyful, O earth. Break forth into singing, O mountains. For the Lord hath comforted his people and he will have mercy upon his afflicted. But Zion said, or you know, Zion is another name for Jerusalem and Israel. But Zion said, the Lord hath forsaken me and my Lord hath forgotten me. Can a woman forget her suckling child that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget, yet will I not forget thee. Again, God will not abandon Israel. He's gonna stick with the Jews. We talked about that earlier tonight, very important. Mark that, mark it well. When you come across a person who says, says God has forsaken the Jews, you show them verses 14 and 15 here. Verse 16, behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. Thy children shall make haste. Thy destroyers, they go that made thee waste shall go forth of thee. Lift up thine eyes round about and behold, all these gather themselves together and come to thee. <clears throat> as I live, saith the Lord, thou shalt surely clothe thee with, all, with them all as an ornament and bind them on thee as a bride doth. For thy waste and thy desolate places and thy land of thy destruction shall even now be too narrow by reason of inhabitants. Wow, there's a lot here. First of all, <clears throat> don't miss that where it says, behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. To me, that's an imagery of Christ and he had the nails in his hands. You know, when Christ puts his hand upon us, you know, even if it's disciplinary, 
don't forget, it's got a print of nails. He's the one who took the nails for you. And I see that here. <clears throat> but there's, there's also a thing mentioned here at the end of verse 19 about the, the, their land is full of destruction and desolate places, <clears throat> but it's also too narrow by reason of the inhabitants. Um, <clears throat> this, is, this, this is a long conversation. I've done long teachings about this particular topic, but Israel is only a tiny fraction of what God promised as far as how much land they possess, even to this day. <clears throat> At their peak during the reign of Solomon, they possessed only one-tenth of what God promised. You know, if you read in Numbers, like the, the definitions of the land that God would give to the Jews was huge. <clears throat> in fact, uh, there's, there's several places. Uh, like, for example, in Genesis chapter 15, verse 18, let me read that to you. <clears throat> it says, in the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying unto thy seed, the Jews, have I given thee this land from the river of Egypt to the river of Euphrates? Now you that know your geography of the Middle East, the river of Euphrates is in, in Iraq. It's in near ancient Babylon, near, you know, Baghdad. And uh, that's where the Euphrates River is. From there, all the way over to the Nile River where the Egyptians are, um, the Lord says, that's your land. Well, why haven't they possessed it? Oh, they will. They will when Christ comes and rules and reigns, he's gonna possess all that land. Now, there've been times where Israelis, like they, they took the Sinai Peninsula back in some of the wars of Israel, but they gave it back to the Egyptians um, and stuff like that. But at their peak, it was during the reign of Solomon, they had the most land. And at that time, they only possessed one-tenth of what God promised to them. And the Lord now in his prophecy of Isaiah says, the land that you have now is way too narrow because of the inhabitants of the people that are there. Um, interesting. Um, did, you know, people think, if you watch the, the news, you think that Israel's this big ogre of a nation um, oppressing the poor little tiny Egyptians and little tiny uh, Jordanians and tiny, tiny little lands around. If you look at a map, just look at a map. Israel is a tiny speck of a nation surrounded by massive Egyptian, uh, Arab, uh, Iranian, Iraqi, uh, Jordanian, uh, Syrian, <coughs> excuse me, Lebanese. I mean, there's huge nations around them. And I want you to see that because um, the way they, they, they sort of portray like David and Goliath, only in modern day, Goliath is Israel and David is the poor little tiny Arab nations. No. Did you know that the narrowest part of Israel is only nine miles wide? Nine miles. Um, it's, it's a tiny little nation. Did you know you could fit all of... Um, uh, uh, Israel in one of the Great Lakes, and you know, have room to spare. Did you know that Israel is smaller than New Jersey? Like Israel is a tiny, tiny little nation, and um, and you know, you know, here's all these presidents wanting to say we need to divide Israel up and give some to the Palestinians. There's nothing to divide. It's tiny, um, and if they divide it, you know, that little nine mile stretch even gets gets more narrow. Uh, it's it's kind of crazy, and it's hard to defend a, such a tiny little nation, a strip of land. Um, this is a prophecy that Isaiah is talking about. The land would be desolate and too narrow, but there's a time coming where God's going to intervene and Israel's going to grow. So, no matter what side of the Arab-Israeli conflict you're on, or should the Palestinians get a state, or all this stuff, doesn't matter. God's going to take the land back for Himself. Jerusalem is mine, saith the Lord. It's not the Arabs. It's not the Israelis. God says Jerusalem belongs to Moi. <laughs> and there's gonna be no questions when that happens. And he's gonna make it not narrow any longer. Well, that's verse 19. 
Verse 20, the children which thou hast, uh, shalt have after thou hast lost the other shall say again in thine ears, the place is too straight for me. Give place to me that I may dwell. Then shalt thou say in thine heart, who hath begotten me these, seeing I have lost my children and am desolate and captive, uh, a captive and removing to and fro and who hath brought up these? Behold, I was left alone, these where they had been. Thus saith the Lord God, behold, I will lift up mine hand to the Gentiles and set up my standard to the people. And they shall bring thy sons in their arms and thy daughters shall be carried upon their shoulders and kings shall be thy nursing fathers and their queens by nursing mothers. They shall bow down to thee with their face toward the earth and lick up the dust of thy feet. And thou shalt know that I am the Lord for they shall not be ashamed that wait for me. Um, shall the prey be taken from the mighty or the lawful captive delivered? But thus saith the Lord, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken away and the prey of the terrible shall be delivered. For I will contend with him that contendeth with thee and I will save thy children. And I will feed them that oppress thee with their own flesh and they shall be drunken with their own blood as with sweet wine. And all flesh shall know that I, the Lord, am thy savior and thy redeemer, O mighty one of Jacob. This is a section, verses 20 through 26, that's speaking of the Jews being scattered, the diaspora, because of their rebellion, their wickedness. But the Lord is gonna keep his eye on them, he's gonna protect them, and he's gonna bring them out, he's gonna bring them back together, and he's gonna make those nations that treat the Jews badly drink their own blood and eat their own flesh. Like that's a brutal imagery that the Bible gives to those that treat Israel badly. The Lord says, I will bless the nations that bless Israel and I will curse the nations that curse Israel. Um, I have to say, one of the things I'm really thankful for is uh, right now, the United States is about as good a friend of Israel as we've ever been. Um, and I, I'm thankful for that. I think that might be one of the reasons the United States still exists is because we have been pro-Israel. Uh, the day we turn against Israel harder, I think is a day we're gonna see things deteriorate even worse than where we are now. But I, I believe all the blessings we're seeing, the good things that are happening, I think that has a lot to do with our treatment of Israel. Um, we could go into the judgment of the sheep and the goats. Uh, that's coming and that's gonna be how people treated Israel, the Jews. You don't wanna be a part of the people that are you know, anti-Semitic. Watch out, be careful. The Lord's gonna gather his people. He loves them, he has a plan for them. Uh, and that's part of what Isaiah is teaching here. You know, um, as Gentiles, we, should, we are instructed in the scriptures, pray for the peace of Jerusalem, for they shall prosper that love thee. And you know, um, it's interesting because our, our world is kind of prosperous in some ways, but we're also a mess in others. And we have this strange dichotomy of prosperity and total weirdness and destruction. Um, I think this to me smells like what the Bible has told us would happen, that those that bless Israel will be blessed and, and we're largely blessed in some ways. Um, I believe that is largely due to this last three years where we've declared Jerusalem as the capital city of Israel um, and, the, and we have moved our embassy there. Uh, we've declared the Golan Heights as Israeli territory. And even this um, Arab-Israeli peace deal, it's the first peace deal in 25 years of any Arab nation acknowledging that Israel even exists. If people don't think that this uh, treaty that was signed a couple weeks ago, it has any importance, you got another thing coming. And I'm gonna talk about what it means uh, on Friday night 
uh, when we get into our prophecy update. So we'll get into some of that. Um, well, there it is, a couple chapters. We're plugging away through Isaiah. We'll pick it up again in chapter 50, starting next week. Let's pray. And Lord, we're so thankful for your word that's living and powerful. And I thank you that you give us the word as an uh, anchor. Lord, so much untruth, so much deception, so many lies and spin and all kinds of stuff that people say that are just not even really true. I pray that your people would be marked by truth, that we would be champions of your word and not of Facebook or Instagram, not champions of, of, uh, of uh notions that are maybe true or false or maybe good or bad, but Lord, we're so thankful we have your word that is totally true and right. Lord, I pray that we'd lean on it. We'd put our trust in your word. Lord, help us to be people of faith. Help us not to be these people in chapter 48 that just speak about you like they know you, act like they're righteous, but really aren't and don't really know you. I pray that we would be close to you and that we draw near to you truthfully, not just with our lips, but with our hearts and our minds. So Lord, may good fruit come from this time in your word tonight, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.